rules of engagement. So talking about relationships and and how do we how do we navigate especially conflict in relationships. And so we've been talking about the rules and 2 weeks ago we talked about how it's not about winning and and so in conflict we have two natural responses and some of us respond the one way and we want to win because we think winning is more important than preserving a relationship. And then others, and this is where I'm bent more often, we want to escape because, because we believe that, that getting away from conflict is more important than resolving it. And both of those are sinful responses, and that's not what God wants. When we are in conflict, what God wants us to do is he wants us to bring glory to God. He wants us to, to, to follow Jesus. And um, so it's not about winning. The second one is own your part. And sometimes even when I'm involved in counseling, and many times if there's marriage counseling, I, I only get one side. And sometimes the response is, how come you're being so hard on me? You know, most of it was her fault or his fault or whatever. And I said, well, if, if she was here, then I could address her part of the problem. But she's not here. You're here. And the only part of the problem you can really fix is your own. And so own your part, even if it's just 10%, if it's whatever it is, we need to own our parts. And so today we're going to talk about the third rule. And this third rule is, is about what do you do when you blow it? You know, like Joey there, what, what do you do? And our culture is terrible at this. We're terrible at forgiveness and we're terrible at what we should do when we blow it, which is confession. And, and how to, to ask for forgiveness, how to say you're sorry in a way that you're not rationalizing and covering up or blaming someone else or, or all of that. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He says, um, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Again, this is the own your part rule as well as in here. But how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so, and so you know, when we talk about confession, we're talking about owning your part and, and saying, okay, instead of jumping to, hey, this is what you did, start with this is what I did and it was wrong and I'm sorry. In fact, uh, some of you, you might be like, man, when is he going to get to the other person? Okay, we last two weeks, this week, three weeks on me. We need to talk about him or her. Next week, we'll talk about him or her. Okay, <laughs> obviously not specifically because I don't know who the him or her is in your life, but, but we'll, we'll talk about that next week, uh, about the other individual. But, but this is so important because most of the conflict that we can control, in fact, the only part of the conflict we can control is, is me, and so that's why we're talking about ourselves here at the beginning. So we're going to talk about five ways to, we're going to talk about how to confess, and I, I get there's seven A's of confession. It's from Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. It's a great book. I recommend it to you, and they're all biblical principles, and we'll look at some of that as well, but here's how not to confess. Our society, our culture, um, human nature is really good at avoiding taking responsibility, and, and we're really poor at confession. So um, non-apologies. Uh, number one, the if apology. This is a classic. If I did anything to offend you, 
I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry if um, you, you took that wrong um, or, or whatever. But basically, when you say if, you're talking, you're not taking responsibility. You're not saying you're sorry. You're saying, you know, in theory, someone who may have or may not have done this would be wrong. And so there, there's, not, there's no confession in that. So, so don't use if when you apologize. Another thing is the passive apology. And another way of saying this is apologizing in such a way that you're rationalizing and explaining um, why you did what you did. Okay, that is not an apology. If you're making excuses, that, that's, not ask, that's not confession. So I'm, I'm sorry we see this differently. I'm sorry you feel this way. I'm sorry I was tired. I'm sorry the kids were acting crazy all day. You see, it wasn't actually my fault. It was the kids' fault. Okay, the passive or the excusatory apology. Don't, don't do that. The I didn't mean it apology, right? Well, I, 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 I'm sorry, but, but I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Or I'm sorry you misunderstood me. I'm sorry uh, you didn't realize what I actually meant. Um, and that brings us to the you are too sensitive apology. A lot of these, you might not remember all of these, but pretty much if you use the word if or you. So if you say you, you're not making an apology, you're making an accusation. Uh, I, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. I'm sorry that, you know, no one else took it wrong, but apparently you did. Like, I'm sorry that you have a problem and so that's not an apology, and, and so we need to avoid you statements. Um, false apology is when someone says they're sorry but refuses to accept blame or responsibility. Here's the I have a dark side apology. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but you know how I get when I'm hungry, <laughs> right? I, I'm sorry, but uh, you know how I get when I'm drinking, I'm sorry, but something else was really at the root of this problem. It wasn't me. It was the alcohol speaking through me. It was the whatever. Um, I have a dark side apology. So here's, here's two examples of, uh, and, and these are easy to find. Okay, if you listen to the news, you will hear terrible apologies, okay, that are not apologies at all. So here's one um, happened in the Me Too movement about two years ago. Kevin Spacey, the actor, he says this, if I did behave then as he describes, I owe him, this is a man who was uh, sexually assaulted. There's a number of men that came forward, um, young men who were sexually assaulted by Kevin Spacey. And so he says, if I did behave as he then describes, I owe him the sincerest apology for what would have been deeply inappropriate, drunken behavior. So he gets the if in there, he gets the passive rationalization and the dark side apology all at once. And, and when someone does this, I mean, you think like, oh, this is, you know, this is a way I can get out of apologizing. But the truth is, when I read this, I think Kevin Spacey is actually worse than what I thought he was. Right? In trying to manage our sin and, and not apologize, we actually make ourselves look worse. You know, and so God says, no, you, we, when, when you're wrong, when there's, when there's something in your eye, you need to pull it out and not, and not be pointing at other people's stuff in their eye. 
Just, just deal with what you have. Here's another one. He's the CEO of, of Juul, which uh, makes vaping products. He says, as far as kids that were vaping, I tell them, I'm sorry that their child is using the product. I'm sorry, but it's your kid's problem, right? It's not intended for them. I hope, this is a way of saying an if statement without using the word if. If there was nothing, you know, I hope there was nothing we did to make it appealing to them. Yeah. And so, so the world we live in is terrible at confession. But we need to be different as followers of Jesus Christ. And I know not everyone here is following Jesus Christ, but if you decide to be a follower of Jesus Christ, as Angela decided within the last year to become a follower of Jesus Christ, this is one of the ways you need, you need to follow him, is in confessing the right way. And, and, and so... Um, here's uh, how to confess. And before we get to that, I have um, something I, I need to, to read to you. Um, I don't know how to... So Pastor Ethan, some of you are aware of this. We sent out an email to our members last Sunday about um, Pastor Ethan and Vestal and his resignation. And um, so he, here's why we did that, and here's why I'm going to mention it to you as well. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21 says this, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder. And in all these verses I'm going to read, uh, the word for elder as an overseer and bishop and pastor and shepherd, they're all synonyms used interchangeably in the New Testament. The, the more structured, you know, archbishop, pope, uh, cardinal, uh, all these kinds of terms and things, they came later in church history. The very beginning of the church, there was, there was deacons and deaconesses, and then there was, there was pastors. That, that was it. Um, and so elder means pastor. So it says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses, which is the standard for anyone from the law of Moses. Verse 20, but those elders who are sinning, you're to reprove before everyone so that the others, the other pastors or elders may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without, without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. And so again, in our world today, the world is upside down and does things contrary to the way God would want us to do. In our world, if you have political influence, if you have authority, if you have money, if you have power, there's a saying, leaders are those who believe the rules are for everyone else. And God says the church is not to be that way. You don't show partiality just because someone's a pastor, just because he's done and sacrificed and done a lot of good things. So there's no partiality. In fact, there's even a greater standard of accountability for those who, who lead the church. And so this is what Ethan wrote and said to his congregation in Vestal last Sunday. This will be the last time that I will speak to you as, a, as your pastor. Over a period of time, I engaged in a pattern of sin that has hurt people and brought shame not only to God, but also to his church. I've come to realize the gravity of that pattern of sin and have asked God for forgiveness and would also ask 
for your forgiveness. I believe the choices I made have disqualified me from being your pastor. Therefore, I've submitted my resignation to Bridgewater's overseers and they've accepted it. This is a sad day for me as I'm sure it is for some of you, but God is not done with Bridgewater Vestal and I don't want to get in the way of the great things he has planned. I love you all and I thank you for the time we have had together. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now the reason he read that is because uh, 1 Timothy 3 lists um, moral qualifications for a pastor. You know, if, if, if anyone does anything illegal, okay, we, we report it to the authorities, but there are a great deal of things that are not illegal, but they're still wrong. And so 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3 says this. This, this is these are the moral qualifications of a pastor. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And so if... If a, a man, if a pastor no longer meets those qualifications, he can no longer be a pastor. So a couple questions people might have with something like this, and that is, do you do this for everyone? And no, no, this is just, if there is repentance, and, in, and with Ethan there is repentance. He is, he is sorry, he is not doing uh, what he has done in the past and, and all of that, but, <clears throat> but he doesn't meet the requirements, those moral requirements of a pastor at this time. And so he, he needed to step down and he, he, he did it of his own free will. He, he recognized that, that need. Um, some may say, well, where's the forgiveness and where's the love? And I would say there is absolutely love and forgiveness. And if you know Ethan, I know many of you, you don't know Ethan, so but he was a pastor here before he went to Vestal. He was an intern here, I guess, and then we hired him to be a pastor in Vestal. And so, you know what? This is a time to love him, to, to encourage him. Love and truth are not opposites. They always walk hand in hand. And, and so now is the time, uh, now that the truth is out, more than any time, we need to love Ethan. In fact, um, here's some verses that uh, talk about confession and repentance from 2 Corinthians 7, 8. This is the Apostle Paul confronted the church in Corinth. In, 1 Corinthians, in the first 1 Corinthians, he confronted the church and he says, there is sin among you and you need to deal with it. And then they did. And so this is his follow-up. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. So Paul didn't sin. They sinned. He doesn't regret confronting the sin. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you. He regretted hurting them, but not what he said. But only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. And this is what we desire for, Pastor, for, for Ethan. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourself to be innocent in this matter, and there is restoration there um, in the church, between the church and God, between the church and Paul, and in all parties involved. So what, how do you confess if you notice, in, as I read Ethan's confession, he did none of those bad confession things. And I, I have to say, this sermon was planned on being preached this Sunday in January. And so none of this is a reaction to what happened. It really is of God that this is just what we were going to talk about. Um, so, so, you know, he didn't say if. He didn't say uh, you um, or anything like that. But so, so qualities of a, of a good confession, of a proper godly confession, number one, it addresses everyone involved. That always means God because every sin is always a sin against God. But it often means other people as well. Okay, so if, if you... Um, got angry and, and, and just ripped, ripped into your wife and said cruel, mean things to her. You need to not just confess to God. You need to go to her and confess. And if you did it at the dining room table with your kids listening, you need to confess at the dining room table with your kids listening. If you go to a school board meeting and you say something truthful, but you say it in an angry, hurtful, mean way, it's not enough to go to the superintendent or whoever you, you were hurtful to and, and apologize privately. You need to show up at the next school board meeting and you need to confess to everyone involved. Which means we need to be very careful when we criticize and say negative things publicly. If you do it on Facebook, you need to confess on Facebook. Okay, address everyone involved. Okay, that's not everyone, okay? So don't, don't confess to some random person in the price chopper line, okay? You know, but, but everyone involved, all right? Avoid if, but, and maybe we've talked about that. Admit specifically. So if I, you know, hey, Ben, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So Ben's like, oh, you're sorry about what? Well, I'm sorry about the other night. You're sorry about what the other night? Well, I'm sorry about getting upset the other night. In what way did you get upset? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry for taking a swing at you, all right? <laughs> you know, so, so many times we, we, we don't confess specifically because we're, we're, we, we don't want to own up to what we actually did. So when you confess, it has to be specific. I am sorry for, honey, I am sorry for bringing up the past. I said I had forgiven you, but last night I brought it up, and I brought it up just to hurt you. And I'm sorry for doing that. I, I'm sorry for, for sharing that, that what was said in confidence and, and, and doing what I did. You must feel betrayed. I'm sorry. And specifically. Now, not exhaustively. So, you know, I'm sorry for calling you this name and that name and the other name. Well, you also called me this other name. Well, I don't even remember all the names I called you. Okay, so we don't, don't use this against someone to say, no, that you didn't do it right because you didn't mention, you know, all 12 things that I, um, but, you know, because we, we forget and we, but, but basically owning it means being specific. So not necessarily exhaustive, but specific. Acknowledge the hurt. This, this is, 
the Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when you're confessing your sin to someone, um, recognize that you have hurt them. This really helps um, to say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry when I said that. You must have felt betrayed by me when I did that. I know that really, really hurt you. And I'm sorry. Um, acknowledge the hurt. Accept the consequences. If you go to your boss and you say, you know, I've been stealing money out of the cash box and I just want to say I'm sorry. And then he fires you. What? <laughs> Why are you firing me? You never would have known if I hadn't said, I don't get, I get any credit. or what? No, no, no. No, you see, confession is not a way to manipulate people into having them, you know, okay, confession is great. I get it off my chest and I get to manipulate other people into doing what I want them to do anyway, you know, and not taking consequences. No, that's, confession accepts consequences. And you say, yep, yep, I, I'm going to file, I'm going to file a report on you for stealing. Yep, I deserve that. It, it's not a way to escape the consequences um, in fact, if, if, I, if I borrowed your car and, and uh, I was texting while driving and wrapped it around a tree and, and I came back and said, man, I'm sorry, about what? Well, I admit specifically, I was texting and I went off the road and your car is totally demolished. Here you go. <laughs> See ya. Okay, that, that, is not, that is not accepting the consequences. Accepting the consequences is saying, and I'm going to buy you a new car. Or I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let that be reported on your insurance. I'm going to report that on my insurance. Or I don't even know how that happens because I've never wrecked someone else's car. But, but accepting the consequences. And then finally, altering your behavior. If you say you're sorry and you keep saying you're sorry and you keep doing the same thing, you're not sorry. Okay, and so, so altering your behavior means what am I going to do differently besides the old worn out, not working, I'll try harder next time plan. All right, I'm sorry and I'll try harder next time. Not a good confession, not a good plan. I'm sorry and, and this is what is changing in my life and I'm going to get counseling, or I'm going to have accountability, or I'm going to get rid of my phone and get a flip phone or whatever, or I'm going to, you know, uh, wh whatever it might be, um, altering your behavior. And then the last thing, and this is the hardest one, asking for forgiveness. I, I'm, I'm sorry for taking a swing at you. I didn't, because we all know Ben couldn't duck that well. <laughs> Um, will you forgive me? If someone asks you that, will you forgive me? Don't say, oh, it was nothing. No, it wasn't nothing. I was wrong. It was sin. Will you forgive me? Oh, don't worry about it. No, it's not about worry. What am I, and and at doing this, see, we say I'm sorry about unintentional, accidental things, right? You're walking down the hall and boop, you bump into someone. Oh, Sorry. Right? There was no sin involved in that. We say sorry for all sorts of things, things that aren't sinful. But when you say, will you forgive me, you are admitting very clearly that you have sinned and you're becoming vulnerable because you're placing the power in their hands.
Because when you say this, will you forgive me? They may respond with, I will never forgive you for that. No. At which point you you just have to walk away. You can't make someone forgive you. You're the one in the wrong. That is, that is there, and we've talked about forgiveness and how that hurts the person who doesn't forgive and how God can, can punish someone better than we can, and that's one of the things that allows us to forgive and, and all of that. But, but if, you are on the, if you're the one who did the sin, this is what God asks you to do and to be vulnerable and say, will you forgive me? Um, The last thing, this is a a great statement. Conflict with others, and I've mentioned it before, is one of God's mysterious counterintuitive ways of rescuing us from ourselves. We're going to conclude our service remembering Christ's death for us. And traditionally, typically, this is a time where we confess our sins to God, not out loud, not to one another, but, but between you and God. Um, In fact, the Bible talks about eating and drinking this in an unworthy manner. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't believe he rose from the dead and and you're just visiting here, I just, I I, want to encourage you to not drink this. If you didn't get one on your way in, there's some back at the table. It has um, two, it has a little peel tab for the bread and then another tab for the drink. It's kind of complicated, but... um, This is a COVID thing. Um, But so before we take this together, don't don't eat it yet, don't drink it yet. Before I I just want to just have maybe 60 seconds right now of of quiet prayer. Examining your heart, examining your actions, examining your thoughts in your life. And if there's anything that you need to confess to God, then do that right now. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says, this is so important. If something comes to your head and you haven't confessed it to another person, you need to leave right now, he says in Matthew. He says, leave right now and go confess it to that person as well. It's more important than taking communion. It's more important than finishing the service. Confession. Let's spend some time just talking to God quietly right now, confessing our sin. Matthew, in chapter 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, 
he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're thankful that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be right with you. God, help us. Help us not to hide our sin, but help us to reveal it and confess it and then to follow you with joy, with peace, knowing that you have forgiven our sins, knowing that that we are standing right before you when we've repented of what we've done and made you our Savior and Lord. God, if there's anyone here that has not done that yet, God, just don't let them rest. Don't uh, just, just continue to nag at their hearts until they fall on their knees before you and give their life to you, confessing their sin and receiving forgiveness for all eternity. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the body. We thank you that we can be here today. We thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.